0: To do the same thing over and over again and that. It is
1: crazy to hear though that like sim swapping, how easy it actually is. I used to re- read TechCrunch and now my name is on TechCrunch. There is the opportunity in the US still, despite what prevailing narratives
0: uh, might be. US, there were a lot of times that I would fund my business through my credit card. I mean, a lot of the best companies in the world go through that accelerator, so. If you have to apply for a visa from Pakistan to US, I think it's take like 400 days or something. Steve, I, I
1: appreciate you coming on. This is going to be a fun uh, fun episode here. How, how's your day been?
0: Pretty good, well, uh, you know, um, it's a beautiful afternoon in Puerto Rico, so... It's, uh, it's been a wonderful day so far. Awesome. Yeah, well,
1: I'm really excited to dive into your background, what led you to doing what you're doing today. But before diving into all those details, I'd, I'd love to just give you the space to talk a little bit about your background and your journey up until this point.
0: So um, I am Siba One. I co-founder of BitAccess Access. Bitcoin Access is one of the largest Bitcoin ATM network. We had 10,000 locations, around half a million clients publicly. And then, you know, so we started that in 2013. I got involved with a lot of earlier projects. I know a lot of people would say, why. I was in ICOs before they were cool, you know? <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, you, so it sounds so like you've been, done been around, around things, for a while. Like, you know, MasterCoin. Uh, yeah, well, eight years is pretty much a, like, you know, I don't know, it's like a decades of work in crypto. So, got involved in 2013, started a company and and went to Y Combinator. And uh, so, pretty involved with, uh, with the crypto community. And in the meantime, I realized that security is being a bit massive issue cyber cybersecurity in that crypto. Like, if you look at all the hacks that happen every day, I'll give you example about like $6 trillion were hacked. Like, there were $6 trillion worth of damages this year in like, not... Not crypto, but overall cybersecurity. So I realized I was getting hacked a lot of times because of Bitcoin background. People will attack you, and the most common attack for me was SIM swapping. I got SIM swap four times. So the people who don't know, it's basically if you have an account with T-Mobile, AT&T, or Rogers or anyone carrier, you can actually walk into a store, bribe the person on dark web, and they'll transfer your number to your number. So I said, this is a stupid problem to solve. Like you know, this is like ridiculously easy to take anyone number. Like literally, you just have to pay $200 and now the number. And if you look at my number, my number is my social security number now. Like everything is linked to my telephone number. So I said, what do these rich and famous people do, right? Like if I'm ordinary person, like, so I said, it's like everyone eating the same McDonald's. Like there's no like a fair amount for that. There's no like Chateau Laurier or there's no like a five-star hotel. It's like everyone is getting fit in economy class. And I said, why there's not a big, better cell phone service for people? So really, it's not easy to do it. So uh, there's something called virtual carriers in the US where you can buy bandwidth from big carriers and build something on top. The example is you buy space from AWS and you build Dropbox on top. So you better build a better UI, better feature, better customer support. And that's what we did. So we built around security. We want to be like a bullet cell phone service where we take the responsibility you call and you get connected to someone in 60 seconds. Something happens, we don't say, hey, I'm sorry. We send you a letter of not, send you a letter of claim knock, uh, knock. nothing happened so far, but our goal was to, best, to build the best secure cell phone service and more around privacy too, that privacy, like we would not sell, like we make money by selling to you rather than selling you. So that has been my background. And over the past, like, you know, one year, I've been thinking about how do we delegate people to own their own data. So there's no single point of failure. Uh, so that has been a mission so far.
1: I mean, this is something that I feel like you've heard a lot in in the mm-hmm. industry as a whole, especially because, you know, dealing in crypto, Bitcoin, these types of industries are much more technology driven. Like the people who are in them are just much more sophisticated when it comes to understanding technology. And so it is crazy to hear though, that like SIM swapping, how easy it actually is. Just from, from my perspective, it sounds like to protect yourself, you might want to just call up your provider and say, hey, can you please put me on something? Like, I guess w- I would ask you, what what can you do to protect yourself? Because that I mean, seems like a massive will. vulnerability to have yeah. SIM
0: swapped. Uh, you'll be interested in like a lot of carriers, CISOs and top level, regular, they are our clients. They don't trust their own services, they work with us. Either they work with those companies. So the challenge is, it's not how it works. So I'll give you an example of a credit card, right? Now, credit card machines are everywhere. So like there may be a credit card machine in Puerto Rico, Spain, Barcelona, like, you know, uh, Argentina. And they all operate in Visa network. So now imagine, William is a very high risk client. Right? Mm-hmm. so it's not possible to transmit that information everywhere in the world similarly how that's how carriers work so you can say that hey you know i don't want you to port my number but that's similar to putting a small piece of paper on your credit card or writing by a marker that hey do not swipe this card now when the the card gets swiped on the machine the machine doesn't know understand the note so even if you put a note on them on those systems they are not designed for high value clients uh it's like if, if think about it, it's like every Toyota car or every Rolls-Royce even does not come with a bulletproof protection because that's not a general use case. We only work with people, like our customers are generally ultra, ultra high network worth. And for companies, it doesn't make sense for them to cater to that 1% because they cannot extract that amount of value from them. So like to give you example, there may be 1 million clients who are potential customers, just to give you example. And there are probably 400 subscribers, 400 million subscribers in the US. So the market is like less than 0.25%. So do you think every McDonald's will have like a burger steak sandwich because 0.25% people want that? So even if they sell for $20, the economics do not make sense for them.
1: So that's why
0: they avoid taking any kind of liability. And if you look at your cell phone contract, it says that if anything goes wrong, we are not responsible and we do sell your information. So they're very explicit about it uh, because they do not want any kind of liability. Yeah.
1: So, so if I'm saying this back correctly, if you're one of those customers, like let's just say Verizon, insert any of them, you've got all these clients. And in order to service all those clients, you can't put very, very high level security on every single one because then your costs are going to be too high. So inevitably, there's a subset of high-value clients, like out of that million, you could have, you know, like a thousand big targets that could even say, hey, I'm worried about SIM swaps, please protect me. And still, the, a nefarious actor might be able to get around that if they play the system right, because there are holes. Did I say that cor- correctly, or am I missing something?
0: Correct. No, you're correct. It's like, you know, everyone goes through like a secondary like check on immigration or whatever, get clogged down you know, systems are not designed this way because this requires a lot of revamping. And uh, I'll give you a simple example. Like, even though, I don't know how, when chips were introduced, I think it's like been 10 years or so when we have credit card chips. But, you know, a lot of credit card processes still process those, like, you know, uh, you know, sw- swipe. So, so the challenge is that, like, you know, either you just shut down all those swipes and that will basically result in like, I don't know, like 30%, 40% loss or something right? Because people do want to swipe. Yeah. Uh, you just say, oh, I'll let it go and I'll deal with the fraud.
1: Wow. Oh, so the the whole process when you're dealing with like high value clients, for example, like let's say that, like I, I know some people, for example, who've been SIM swapped. So let's say that they're a potential client who's worried about it. It's happened to them. They've lost a lot of money. And if there's certain things that you can't share, like, you know, secret sauce, like feel, don't feel pressured to share. But I'm curious, like when you're speaking to them, Like, how do you assure that you protect them, right? Because they, from their perspective, they said, hey, the telephone companies, they couldn't protect me. I mentioned I didn't want, I want, I'm worried about SIM swaps. I'm afraid I might be SIM swap. Please make sure that someone can't SIM swap me. And then they still get SIM swap. What's going to give them that assurance that, hey, some other outside entity could provide that service for them?
0: Correct. So uh, I think we have been in business for so long. Uh, I think I won't say we are long as AT&T, but we are here for almost three years now, and we have 100% protection record. Last one. Now I'm not saying it, it cannot change, but here's the challenge: if something happens with you on T-Mobile, I doubt if you will go to a store and they say I'll cover your loss. In our case, we have an insurance policy for you. If something goes wrong, you're covered up to five million dollars. You know, uh... our staff is entirely based in the U.S. So it's not like someone in off source outsource who does not have any idea. Everyone who gets hired and access to an account is security cleared. So we do everything again, and we do the same authentication method that a typical crypto transaction we have to go through that, you know, it's a very high risk clients. And that's why we don't offer multiple plans. Like if you go on a website, we only have two plans and one plan we don't even show on the website because we don't even offer it to public. It's like high price, it has much more protections. And because we don't believe that public needs it, like, you know, the people who need it, we know them and contact them directly. Uh, but even for regular plan, we only have one plan, hundred dollar per month or ninety dollar per month, and we don't offer you Netflix, we don't offer you like Hulu or those things or device plan, and that's where mistakes happen because people have to make changes every day. We just say one plan. The only reason when people will contact us is because if they are leaving leaving the service, and then our entire army or our entire like, you know, thing go off. Okay, you know, lot they're on happening here. But on general clients, they have to make it convenient because people want to upgrade their plan, they want to add family, they want to have discounts, they want to Random stuff. So they have to make a system that works for everyone. Otherwise, they have to train their employees. I don't know, maybe hundred thousand employees on a high-level security, and the churn rate in those industries are very high.
1: So, so I guess taking a step back, one thing that you mentioned that I'm I'm actually really curious to dive into as well is your experience at Y Combinator. Yeah. Y Combinator is one of those uh, accelerators that is almost like the uh like the I, the Harvard or like an Ivy League yeah. for startups. And, yeah. You know, I I don't know what the exact acceptance rate is, but I I'm, I'm sure it's like only the cream of the crop it, it's probably got a lower acceptance yeah. rate than than a lot of those top universities so from yeah. the startup side and actually having gotten in and then gone through that process can you talk first off how you got into that program uh, like what that whole process was like and then later on we can dive into what that program was actually like when you were in it
0: sure so my concept of silicon valley was actually the valley, right Like i thought there would be like a small couple of roads like i had no idea about silicon valley because i thought it would be a like valley and my background like i moved to canada in 2010 from my school from pakistan so and we got into y in 2013 so it was like literally like two years after one year or two years after my graduation you know oh, wow. uh, that i'm into into yc and uh, I, we only applied to one incubator, my co-founder Mo applied to that and it changed my life. Like, you know, like I think acceptance uh, is like, it's like five harder than Harvard or something. So the chances of Harvard, whatever the chances are, YC is like five times harder or something. Starts with Harvard.
1: <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So you knew the stats. <laughs> uh, I
0: know at one point of time. So I think in our batch, I think there were like 10,000 people who applied and 85 people who got in. So like crazy, like, it's like super, super, super tough. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I didn't realize how big it was, to be honest, when I got in. After I got <laughs> in, right? Once I got in, I said, holy shit, man, this is like big, right? Because <laughs> um, I'll give you an example. Like, our we had dinners, and our dinners were like, you know, okay, one of the speakers on dinner was Peter Thiel. Now I admire that guy for a long time, okay, you know, and now he's in front of you, right? And talking about, it. you can ask him questions directly. And at that time, cryptocurrency was very, very hard, uh, right? So it's uh, still hard, but I just said for early, in early days, and you would talk about, you know, like, what do you think about? Because he, he had a company called x.com. So I thought, okay, what do you think about cryptocurrency? It was very, very interesting to learn his, his opinion on that. Then Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg hired David Marcus, I specifically remember, who mm-hmm. was uh, head of Messenger at that time. And I think he came from PayPal or something. And my, I asked Mark Zuckerberg directly, did you hire him to build a cryptocurrency platform? And he kind of like, you know, at that time, dived the question. But after two years, they came with Libra, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like other was like Dropbox uh, CEO, Drew Houston. And my backmate was Juan, who started a company called IPFS uh, FilePoint. So he was my batchmate, right? Wow. So now there's a guy who is building decentralized cell phone net, uh, decentralized storage. And one guy has built one of the largest hosting company. So I asked him what do you think about decentralized storage, right? And now <laughs> you have two people who you believe are the best people in the world to talk about are in front of you. So I think these kind of interaction, like our bag was really good. We have a lot of companies that I see in this billboard, like, you know, you pass by on in like highway 101, I believe it's in San Francisco. And you see that, you see billboards of the company that were your batch were starting out. So it's just a nostalgic feeling, right? that, hey, you may have heard about Blockstack, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Blockstack. Have you heard about Stacks.com? So they are also my batch made. Just in terms of crypto, right? You see those companies start off with project. And I think my entire project, my entire experience was like life-changing. Personally, it was life-changing for me. You know, I used to read Paul Graham lessons and now I can talk to him in person. And uh, the art interaction was, again, it was a life. Like for me, it changed my life. If I have to calculate like, you know, what was the life-changing event? And I'm counting on fingers that would probably one of them
1: yeah i mean that that's incredible because a lot of times i it's hard to draw the parallel because so few people have gone through that experience as you mentioned the acceptance rate is so low and you really are dealing with like the cream of the crop i mean a lot of the best companies in the world go through that accelerator so uh some of those stories are credible like the networking it's almost like the reason why you go to college right for a lot of people out there listening it's like you go to college not so much because you're going to learn some mind-blowing fact in a classroom or that you're automatically going to get hired for the best job. It does help if you go to a good university, but it's more so for that and the friendships you build and everyone that you meet when you're going through that. And so, yeah, I can only imagine that going through something like YC uh, for a startup, just being able to network and, and meet and learn from and talk to some of the, the brightest minds in the entire world of business. I think that that is just like an incredible ROI, whereas I'm not necessarily convinced on the traditional schooling system, if I'm being quite honest in, in terms of the yeah. value of that, but um, I could see something like that, going through an accelerator with no, that type of 100%. network.
0: And I think we didn't all about like, when you, uh, like my background is like, I came from Pakistan, I told you, right? So like, it was always like, we used to listen about these people and these are the posters, like, you know, people would have a movie stars and I would have a poster of like a uh, uh, you know, a book, right? Uh, like a PayPal, just to give you an example. So one other thing is my group partner. So every person assigned to a group partner, and my group partner was Gary Tan and Justin Can. So <laughs> I'll give you an example like Justin Can is basically the founder of Twitch, right? Yeah. I remember specifically like he was preparing for Burning Man, and we saw the news. Uh, so we were just like you know you interactive. And this guy sold like a billion dollar while we were in the batch. Like you're sitting in front of a guy who sold his company for a billion dollar and he's giving you time. How awesome is this, right? He can teach you all the things of gaming, right? Like this is how that Gary Tent, one of the greatest like, you know, investor. Now he's the CEO of, of uh, Y Combinator. He's my group partner, right? And those things for me, it was like, I always used to think about like, which kind of people are those, right? Like who builds those companies? How would, like, if I'm looking at Will, like I may have seen him on the TV but I'll see, oh, how, what does Will eat, right? What does music <laughs> yeah. eat, like how does he live, right? Like what does he do every day that basically gives him super, super power to do some awesome thing? But if I spend a team with Will, I'll just say Will is probably just like me. Uh, he has like 10 fingers, like, you know, like he has two eyes. He just is very focused, right? And these are things that he do every day, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a body. You see like a guy who goes to a gym and he has a really good body. And you say, oh man, how did you build such a kind of body? And body? You spend like a week with him and say, okay, I can actually do that. It's not like that difficult. So for me personally, and again, this is kind of emotional for me because it changed my life, right? Yeah. Like I was able to get into U.S. Because of, uh, because of YC. I was able to build connections like TechCrunch. We got mentioned in TechCrunch. I used to re- read TechCrunch. And now my name is on TechCrunch. Yeah. And uh, so all those things, man. Like you know, it's um, again, I don't emphasize, but I recommend strongly someone who wants to change his life. They should go to YC. If I have a mission between like getting a scholarship in Yale, like you know, uh, any Ivy School, like Stanford, I'll probably drop there and go to YC.
1: No, that that's an incredible story, and and I think that those lessons that you just taught, it a lot of times, especially like if if you're not in those circles, it's it's very like you look at it and you don't really see like, okay, like how is it that that part, like that was a perfect example with just like the gym body example, just being around that environment. I feel like you learn so much and you realize, Hey, this is actually attainable, or I can put myself on this path if I start taking on these habits. So my my question is, is when you went and started meeting all these people who just were unbelievable high achievers and you started seeing how they acted, like, you know, Justin, for example, or Gary, what were some of the things that you noticed that were common traits or common habits among the people that were in that environment at
0: YC? I think honesty was one of the biggest. I would say, like, if you have to pick up one thing, honestly, like a lot of time we you don't we're not honest with our business or honest with our things. Like, I may want to achieve the same body, but I may not be willing to put the work in it and focus. Mm-hmm. You know, like how straightforward this was. Uh, what I've realized is, like, you know, you start writing down things. You know, like in a business, like simple is better is better. The more simple your business is, the better, it is. Like you know, like what is one thing that your business do like in our business, like, you know, we provide secure cell phone service and we say, oh, can we provide them like a American Express kind of experience where you, we can take in their calls and, you know, like uh, book hotel for them because they have premium service, right? Can we book a hotel for them? Mm-hmm. Right. Can we be their assistant and everything? I said, man, no. Oh, can we have a privacy focused phone? No. And I said, man, we are one thing. We are secure mobile service. When we were building Bitcoin ATM company, uh, we had like all those kind of feather coin, name coins, like all those. oh, can you be uh, these? Can you add these coins to our machines? Some of them we should have added, but at the same time, we just say, no, we only do Bitcoin ATM, that's it. Oh, can you issue loans on this? No, we don't do that. We just do one thing, but do it really well. So focus and you have to do the same thing over and over again. And that brings me to the movie of Karate King. If you have watched that movie, a guy has to do like every day, same punch over and over again. And then he gets perfect. And you say, man, it's stupid. Like you do it five times. Oh, I'm pretty good at it no man you're not good you have to keep on repeating every day and it's like same with gym right the reason i'm giving gym examples because it's easy right like it's not about like if i have to put like a 10 hour on a row in a in a in one go in a gym it will not have the same impact which will have like one hour each day for the 10 10 10 days yeah so similarly in like startup too like you have to show up every day basically just grind it every day and frankly, one thing about startups, what I've seen is this is like totally different from it. It's like you actually have to love what you do. If you just do it for money, you'll be disappointed because there's a lot of times where there are much more money outside and other things that you want to chase. And it's like a, it's like again, sports, right? You don't play soccer because you want to make money playing soccer. You play it so passionately, like you become so big at, good at it. And then you. that's how you make money off it. So money is a byproduct.
1: Yeah, that beautifully said. And I think that that, That is one piece that I've thought time and time again, like starting a company, being an entrepreneur, unless you love it, like you shouldn't be doing it for the money. Because if you're doing it for the money, you're not going to be able to really give it your all and, and do it properly. I feel like a lot of times people look at like an entrepreneur and they'll say, Hey, I want to be an entrepreneur or they might just go and do some random idea to make money. But if you're in it for that, you're not going to stick through, for example, the, the bear markets in the crypto industry and you'll give up. And at the end of the day, you got to become world class. You can't, you can't just go and be like a hobbyist in something. If you want to be the best at it's maybe another way to think about it.
0: No, certainly like I said, like with the gym, right? Like I think maybe within like two months, you may not see anything in your body. right? Yeah. And maybe you take three years, right? So it takes a lot of time and dedication and perseverance with anything anything you want to do there's a very famous quote i read somewhere find what you love and let it kill you you know (laughs) like obviously it's basically you just be love passionate about what you do and you just keep on doing it and money will come but if the only if you're if you're chasing the money i think in u.s it's much easier to make money to alternative means. You can go into real estate. You can get a really good job at a Fortune 100 company that makes shit ton of money. And, yeah, uh, that's about it.
1: I'm, I'm so curious because you also like you have the YC experience and like the experience you know in, in the US. But I mean, what was it like growing up in Pakistan? Your life before YC? Because I feel like that's something that a lot of people don't hear about, especially like when you're from the US or based in in, in this country and you just grew up here. You don't really get that whole 360-degree view of what it's like growing out somewhere outside. Like, you're talking about a lot of opportunities here. Like, what are some of those major differences between the U.S. And, and where you grew up in Pakistan?
0: A lot of people say, oh, U.S. is falling down. Like, U.S. is basically broke, and U.S. is this, and U.S. is this. And I say, man, for someone who was born in U.S., you guys don't have know that how much privilege do you have, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you grew up in a in a very niche neighborhood and you're saying, Oh, my you know, iPhone fourteen does not have this, so you know, and this is, the iPhone is broken, man. Like, you know, you're among like if you're if you're born in US, like you're above like maybe a massive opportunity. Luckily for me, when I was even in Pakistan, so I would not like, oh, I came with $100 in my bank, right? I was doing okay, right? I could survive by myself and I, uh, my dad was funding my school. But I also did some work on the side to sustain myself. But at the same time, you know, I would say I was rich, but I wasn't like, you know, oh, I just came with $10, right? And I had to sleep on road. No, I slept in a very nice uh, dorm room at the same night. So one other thing is that a lot of people have obviously have a misconception about Pakistan because they will say, oh, these like, you know, whenever Pakistan comes up, like, you know, different kind of images go off, right? Like, you know, and so it's not like that. We actually had a website there. Uh, it's called Park Wheels and where people will just buy and sell cars. And it was getting a lot popular. So our website is like among the top, maybe like a top dozen websites in Pakistan. We have five mm-hmm. or 10 million clients using the website every month or something. It's like auto trader of Pakistan. But even in Pakistan, like I think the biggest challenge is that opportunities that you have to go through. So I'll give you a simple example a lot of my friends used to have a, you cannot have a PayPal in Pakistan. So now it's basically a very, very stupid thing. Like think about it, you can't do a PayPal. Now people have alternative, but it's a small thing that people will not have access to, right? You cannot have a credit card. Very hard to get a credit card there. But now uh, in the US, there were a lot of times that I would fund my business with my credit card, you know? In Pakistan, I could not do that. There were no such laws. of, I, a friend of mine Kumar, he said bankruptcy laws in the US are the most strongest one. Like the best one for entrepreneurs, bank like I've never followed a bankruptcy. Or think about it, you take a massive amount of risk and you can just walk away with it. Now we can talk about it's bad or something, but the founder is not liable for it. This allows them to take massive risk. But a lot mm-hmm. of people who went to bankruptcy, they came back and bounced very well. But think about it, if they were all buried in loan and they would end up in jail, you know, we may not have those companies. And yeah. failure is always like, you know, celebrated in Silicon Valley. Like, you know, you meet a lot of I would have to hide how many times I would have failed, you know, in multiple countries not just in the U.S., but a lot of, like outside Silicon Valley, but Silicon Valley, I would wear it a badge of honor. I can just walk into a state of, man, I failed my last company. Yeah. I screwed up, right? And how much can you do that? That part of it, man, very rarely. People are very, like even in Canada. And I believe even like, you know, if you leave U.S., with Silicon Valley, people have a risk tolerance is very low and uh like it's like crypto right we live in a bubble you know like we have our own kind of uh utopia world that we want to live in and we want to see this how the world will work the world does not work accordingly as we think about it so it's just a change of perspective of how things change and i think that's what matters the most wherever you live like i go to pakistan once in a while and whenever i'm there i just look at things differently than people look locally because there's a challenge and i think oh there's a someone will may be willing to pay for this challenge it's like privilege to be in US, to be honest, you know, like just travel, like think about it. So if you have to apply for a visa from Pakistan to US, I think it's take like 400 days or something. Like really? just wow. think about it. Yeah. And you don't even know that you will get a visa or not. So think about it, you have to plan for a vacation almost 18 months in advance. <laughs> And you don't even know that you will get the visa. So so like you may be a family of four and you're going and one person may not get a visa. And and even for like getting a, uh, you know, like any kind of, you know, like travel anywhere in the world. Like I traveled almost to 10 countries this year. And I'm also Canadian. So, you know, like I had to go to a different country and basically take up a passport that will work better for that country. Mm -hmm. And uh, just not have to worry about visa. But if I have to go through like immigration process and going through a Pakistani passport, it will take me like maybe 10 applications. Every application will cost me $200. It's impossible to plan such such things. So, wow. so again, people may not believe that how big opportunity the U.S. has and the U.S. dream is still alive. And I'm an example of that, right? I moved to U.S. almost three years ago. So it's not a long time. I started this company. Now we have a dozen employees, we serve thousands of clients, do like uh, seven, eight, seven, eight, fair figure than revenue. And uh, I hire people on regular basis, right? And uh, how amazing this is, like, how many countries can this happen?
1: Yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about that other, uh, just the credit card piece. That's wild. So in other countries, it you just don't really have access to credit cards. And, and like, in terms of the bankruptcy piece, like you just... Like you're fully
0: on. It's kind of like student loans in the U.S. where you're fully on the hook. You right. can't you can't declare bankruptcy yes. on them. The bankruptcy laws in the U.S. like like I don't know. It looks like people exploit them. But think about it, right? I'm building a company, and the company is a different entity than myself. I, I can take a risk. I can actually think. But like my my down risk is reduced massively. And similarly, when I take risk, so I think that these are fantastic laws, and they do not exist anywhere in the world. Uh, Like they may, I don't know, but I just think, and then language piece, right? Like I remember when I was raising money, yeah, like I can speak English and people say, how do you, like someone asked me too, like how, where do you learn English? Like I said, what do you mean English? Uh, U.S. Pakistan, have more people who speak English than U.S. or like probably Australia and England and entire Europe. Combined, right? <laughs> we are the fourth biggest language, English speaking nation in the world. So like language, I don't have any language issues. Like, I have an accent and everything, but like, you know, people don't discriminate me that how, uh, and I've lived in multiple countries that, oh, you know, I would not buy because you are this, or this, 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 every society of any man, But again, I'm just saying that U.S. is a privilege and for everyone who believes that uh, U.S. is being broken. Yes, we have challenges here. We have to solve those. But overall, I think it's the best country in the world.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, that's incredible. I mean, right now it's such a crazy time too, because you have all these like massive world events happening, like unprecedented money printing. And I mean, just thinking about it, the US, we we had the benefit of being the reserve currency here. So a lot of printing, but it's going back into, into our country in many ways. Versus other countries, I mean, they were dealing with, you know, COVID and everything else without having that that privilege of being a reserve currency. So even just like those little things, like we just trust that the dollars in our account are going to retain their value. You know, we're not worried yeah. about like like who made a lot of money in Venezuela right before the currency collapsed, you know, like no. I mean, didn't matter what decisions you made. So there is the opportunity in the US still, despite what prevailing narratives uh, might be. Like we added a lot better than a lot of other countries.
0: I think it's also about like, you know, what you get in, like, you know, by default, you just believe this is how the world works. Like you have power. A lot of countries in the world do not have power. Like I'll give you an example of San Juan, Puerto Rico. We had almost no power for two weeks and we were running on alternative power. So like you live in the US and there's no power and you do not think for, like every day you wake up, you don't believe that when you turn on the switch, it will have power. This is a type <laughs> of belief that you have, right? Uh, when you t- try to run your car, you will crank the button. It will basically run. It will just start. But a lot of countries do not have that belief. Like, you know, you can always come back to US and you'll be safe. Like people, there's wars going on across the world. And, uh, you know, like, look at Ukraine, man. Like, you know, like this was like, yeah. a country that you can just go. Now you can't, like, the cow ch- world change? and um, again you know i believe when people get something for granted like by you know by birth if you're a citizen you don't take that seriously but i personally had to go through a process you know like it took me almost four to five years of process you know every person takes like six seven years to become a citizen it's like graduating from school like see how we celebrate our school graduation we have a from it and then we have graduation <laughs> ceremony or something so for me that's another graduation ceremony that we go through and again a lot of people do not believe that uh, how difficult the process is and how you know how important it is in our lives to get those things yeah
1: that's one thing that it, it also kind of from from my perspective i haven't taken any action on this yet but it's something interesting that you're hearing with the current global state of affairs like hey, it might make sense to, you know, have a second passport. So it sounds like you've got, you know, two passports or citizenship in multiple Please. areas made three. Oh yeah, Canada too. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things where in today's day and age, I haven't currently gone through the process of trying to get another one, but like, I, I mean, I wonder how difficult it is for like a US citizen to go and get other, uh, other passports.
0: I think it's, I think it's pay, pay to play, but obviously the second passport you get has to be as good as uh, US one, right? Yeah. So, um, like, I have not explored into that because, frankly, like, as a man, I think I'm not a. Uh, you know, my family will be like, you know, are you like on collection passport collection mission or something? <laughs> but for me, it was just like I had no other option. Like, I I couldn't enter US. Uh, like, you know, the officer uh, again. You know, the reason I got my US green card and everything was because I wasn't allowed to enter US because they believed that I was violation of a visa, which why wasn't, but they said, oh, you come to us too much. So every time I was pulled into secondary check and uh, one time was detained and they, cancel my visa so i had no other option but to get a green card wow so, yeah that's another story but yeah like <laughs> you know like you go for a meeting and you tell your client oh i can't enter the country right? oh so, yeah that's hot uh, so for me i yeah so for me i had no option what would i have done and for canada i came to study again that's another story because you know i had no option but i had to leave the country for some reason you know when people have to leave their house it's not easy man people leave house and uh you know like i Trust, like, it has become a big touchy topic that, you know, I think refugees and everything, but I believe that, trust me, man, it's never, no one wants to leave their house. You know, it's not easy to leave your family or friends where you grew up and just move to a new country. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're one of the few people that have been through that. I mean, how old were you when you moved, Um, when you made that shift? Uh, well, I was 21 when I moved to Canada. So it's been almost 13, 14 years. I'm 35 now. I actually turned 35 this week.
1: Wow! Well, c- congratulations on that <laughs> happy birthday, but b- belated uh, birthday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it feels like going to another country. Like I've traveled like briefly, like for work and stuff. I was recently in Vietnam. Went to Portugal, but it and I. The, the experience of traveling, yes, it was kind of a pain dealing with it, but it was just an inconvenience, you know. It wasn't a question of, oh, am I going to be able to get in or not, or, or I didn't have to plan like, you know, months in advance. It was, hey, you know, I can start planning the week before and still make it there, which is just... Unlike any other process that I feel like everyone else goes through when they're traveling, but it, it almost makes you think it's like, okay, well, yeah, it, it's, it's just kind of crazy like to think about like all these, uh, all these rules that make it so difficult for certain countries and so easy for citizens of other countries. I don't really understand what the benefit, big benefit is there to doing that. Like why, why it's set up that way?
0: It's like, like I'll get in like COVID, like last year we had COVID. So we had to like, you know, a lot of people, compl- oh, I have to get a test. now again, not getting into a test or something, like, you know, not going those like controversies. I'm just saying that people had to get tested and they were panicking. Oh, why do I have to take it? It's such an inconvenience, right? <laughs> They'd have to get a test and everything. And for me, like, man, I had my, my passport. So, cause I used to travel a lot. I remember I used to go to Japan a lot. So Japan will give you a visa. It's only valid for one entry. So, and I had to go literally every month to Japan. So I would come back and the day I come back and next day I go to embassy and ask them to stamp my passport again. They'll stamp my passport. And so I'll pick up like two days or three days before I go and I'll go. So I used to do that for almost for two years. Oh my God. And and so passport have pages, right? I think 50 pages or something. So after like maybe like two years, my password will expire. So I'll just give the password back and I'll wait for another passport. And um, so in a way, it was kind of a, like, you know, a kind of a medal, right? Like my passport expired because stamps and everything. It's like wow. a cool thing to, to do. But mostly it's the reason because one page was totally occupied by the visa. One page was what? Occupied. So when you go, they put a stamp. So normally people stamp, but if you get mm-hmm. a visa, it's a full page. If you get like 24 visas, it's basically 24 pages are gone.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never run into someone who, who's gone through that experience. So you're traveling once a month to Japan for, for years? Yeah, for almost for two years. That is crazy. So, I, I mean, at, by that point, you must ha- be like a, a professional traveler. Like, So I, compared to a lot of the people I know, I travel a lot. But I mean, compared to that, I'm not filling up, you know, uh, and like filling up pages, like, you know, filling up booklets. Yeah. But I mean, one thing that... I've realized, and I'm not sure if a lot of people are like this, like, are you, when you're traveling, are you able to sleep on planes? Cause I feel like I personally, I'm able to sleep on planes very easily, but a lot of people that I know aren't able to sleep on planes, which I feel like would make traveling so much worse because like when you sleep on a plane, then it's almost like you're teleporting for part of the trip.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I used to sleep a lot and I start taking some medicines too, like, you know, like to manage my sleep. Cause a lot of time I'll go for a couple of days. So I have to manage my sleep accordingly, but, uh, but it's not healthy to be honest. And so, yeah, but a uh, short answer, I was able to sleep. And I'm still able to sleep. Yeah. Let's that's good. Long.
1: Yeah. I, and
0: uh, I, I'll like, especially when I'm going on a long
1: one, I will like take melatonin oh. before. <laughs> yeah. That's what I used to take. Yeah. 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 It just helps. Like, I'm not yeah. sure. It's probably not good to, to do long-term, but it's like, if you've if yeah. you got an 18 hour flight, do you really want to be yeah. <laughs> awake for 18 hours? In yeah, like yeah, economy. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> so the same thing. I used to do that, uh, like you know, uh manage my sleep accordingly. And like 10 hours I'll be sleeping on a 14 hour flight. So it's not that terrible.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and if I know, for example, that I'm gonna be going on a long flight, like I might try and plan it so I'm like I do as yeah. much as I can before I leave don't sleep yeah. as much and then just plan to catch up on on the plane but also just like you, you mentioned how it's not healthy like just the planning like making sure that you, you're taking like maybe like some probiotics or something or emergency yes. things like that because getting sick when traveling is definitely not fun
0: yeah and also like a lot of people like I read somewhere that um if traveling was free you would never see me home again man trust me if traveling is free uh you know even like it makes sense in the beginning I don't know how people travel so much, you know, like when I travel, I basically try to make it as short as possible. And I have a family, I have two kids and, uh, you know, so I basically want to make sure I'm home, back home as soon as possible. So I can spend time with my wife, my kids and everything. So like, I don't feel comfortable, like by hotels, I don't feel as comfortable. As I used to in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not, that I'll not sleep, I'll sleep, but I do not enjoy hotels.
1: Yeah. You don't want to spend too much time. Like that's one thing too, that I just started noticing is a lot of the time, like I'll have to travel like alone. Like if, let's say that there's like something that has to get done for work. A lot of the people I work with are older. And so they've got families and I'm still like young. I don't have like a family or kids. So I'm the one that will are going travel. But a lot of times I find myself like traveling or Maybe being like alone in a hotel room, and I'm just like, dang, I do not want to spend my time alone in a hotel room. I want to like be doing something, or you know, making sure that I, there's events going on the entire time when I'm traveling, yeah. or be home recovering. Okay, I'll give you and a tip on that.
0: I'll give you two tips on that. So one is stay in a hostel, right? So you basically take a uh. book a room in a hostel, and you'll find a lot of people there, you know, who can hang out. So if you go to a hostel, they have a, like an events plan. So, mm-hmm. and hostel is super cheap, so $20, $30. So you can still, if you don't like the hostel, sleep in a hostel, you can stay in their hotel, but yeah. just check in there and just <laughs> attend all the events. So that's one trick, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, secondly, interesting. Yeah. Secondly, you can actually try a couch surfing uh, website. So you can go there and find out that I'm traveling there and you may find a lot of people. You'll be surprised at how privileged Americans are that if you say I'm coming from US, you will get a lot of people hosting you if you go to Vietnam but if you're Vietnam and you want to come to US you'll really get a reply
1: wow i didn't think and it's just like random like crowd like couch surfing web, Is there like a website yeah. like an airbnb it, type equivalent
0: yeah it, it's free airbnb where people will host you for free
1: oh okay i see wow that's interesting uh,
0: and it's a really good life changing experience like i don't have time to do that right now because like a lot of my trips are really short but it's really good because you'll meet with people who are locals and they will they will not like be they say, oh, do you mind sleeping on my couch, right? And, hey, I'm basically going this tomorrow. Do you want to join my friends? Oh, I'm cooking this food. Do you want uh, to join? So you live like a uh, like a local. And it's a very good website, couch surfing. And then, again, uh, the second is this, that um, uh, I told you, it's in a hostel.
1: And you will enjoy it a lot. That's that's interesting because I feel like you also get the um, you get an experience that you wouldn't get at a hotel. It sounds like. I mean, yeah. when I was traveling yeah. in, in Vietnam, I had the chance. There was an event put on by Agora. Um, so it was like certain companies. It was almost like speed dating, like matching, like with companies and investors, things like yeah. that. And um, they put the, they were hosting the event in like a really really nice hotel there, like super super nice hotel. Which you know in Vietnam is like the cost of a normal hotel here in the US. Yeah. I, I felt like I the only time I was able to like at least venture outside of like the normal like venture out into like what a local might see is when I was able to walk the streets and go outside outside of the event, but. I, it would have been cool to actually know a the local there and been able to get that type of an experience. So, yeah, interesting. To out, uh,
0: couch surfing. Yeah, couch surfing, if you want to stay with locals, but if you want to have travel with the people who are starting like you, and frankly, a lot of first class travel is not fun. Like, if you want to go Vietnam, you want to try out some street food. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, like Marriott, everywhere is the same. You know, you go to any Marriott, you're the same, right? Yeah, uh, You get the same food, but if you go to Vietnam, you want to try something local. Uh, so that's only a couch surfing is the way, because they both meet up. And uh, that I do a, a lot of time. That if I'm bored and I'm away, I'll just say who's around, and people will just match up. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I
1: uh, I ended up trying it's the like street food. like Tinder
0: dinner. without the fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. For, for everyone who wants to check out like the, <laughs> the couch surfing Tinder. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I went, I did try the street food. Uh, but my, like SAS Mining's president and chief operating officer, he used to travel a lot. He, he doesn't travel as much anymore, but he was giving me like tips and he gave me the very useful tip of saying, hey, we got all this work and you got to be on for this portion. And then there was like a couple of days after where um, I the event was over where I was just going to explore the area. And he said, don't try the street food until after the events, because it could kind of mess you up a little bit.
0: Yeah.
1: And um yeah, I ended up taking his advice. The the food was good. Um I I'm trying to remember, I can't remember the name of this one, this one dish that I thought was so good. And I'm blanking on the name right now. But then I did I'm end making, up making you're
0: making me making me hungry now. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah after after the podcast we'll go go grab some food. <laughs> no, yeah, the, the yeah. food that I make now is just uh, talking about like what we we're talking about earlier with fitness and And all of that, I've been super, super passionate about like healthy eating, fitness, all this stuff for pretty much my entire life. And the food that I eat now, a lot of my like friends will look at me and they'll I think it's disgusting, but I think it tastes pretty good. It's very, very healthy though. A lot of like alternatives, like like a lot of chicken. So, <laughs> uh,
0: I, I, yeah, so I just say that about the food and everything, man. Like you know, like if there's no point of living hundred years if you can't live the way you want to, it doesn't mean. But it doesn't mean that you should be miserable in forty, right? But yeah, there's just some balance around it. That hey, it's more about the quality of life. Because so yeah, about the food, right? Like I'm not saying you should basically only be or eating um, bad food or or but. What if you do not enjoy a good steak ever oh, in your life? Yeah. Like, What's he the point of Steaks. <laughs> like, what? What's the point of having a life? Yeah, if you can't even enjoy like a nice shake or a nice like you know barbecue someday.
1: Yeah, that's so true. I I think it's like crazy because I feel like a lot of people when they dive in and realize like learn all about nutrition and like like f- different foods like health profiles. I feel like everyone can find a lot healthy foods that they really like that they'd be super ecstatic having in their diet but a lot of people just I feel like will eat certain things thinking they're healthy when they're not and will avoid certain things that they like that actually are very healthy and that they could just be eating what they like and having and like that's one of the things where like I love like chicken and I love like wraps and things like that like chicken club wraps things like that so I just substitute like a low calorie wrap equivalent. It tastes the exact same as a normal tortilla, except it's got less calorie and more protein and it tastes the same. And then like with sauces, I love barbecue sauce. Like I love barbecue sauce so much, but I can't just douse on a ton of barbecue. So i find an alternative of a brand that I like the taste of the barbecue sauce, which is like no calories, less sugar. So all those like little things, you can eat a diet that to you tastes delicious. And still, yeah, yeah it, it just makes the quality of life so much better. And I'm always going, I love steak. Like absolutely. Uh what, what what's yeah. your favorite food?
0: Steak, obviously, you can't compete steak with anything, like a good, like you know, medium done steak with a barbecue sauce on a beautiful day with <laughs> some lemonade. Yeah. You can't beat that any time of the time of the day, any time the, like you can have it for breakfast and no problem. Um, I eat I like I like biryani. I don't know if you try biryani. what is Uh, it called biryani it's like a spicy rice
1: oh that sounds
0: good yeah and then you know we have the uh uh, those like shawarma that are really good Um, oh yeah and so and like you know obviously it's meat and like you know some rice and like some some salad like whatever it combination goes with it's always work you know um i'm not a fan of chicken a lot i prefer lamb goat and beef. oh uh, yeah it, lamb
1: and lamb is very good i'm a big fan of
0: yeah. lamb yeah so these things are really interesting but obviously like you know i watch my uh my you know consumption and everything i don't overeat it i avoid all the sodas i avoid all the sugar uh, mm-hmm. but i have sugar once in a while you know but other than that like i think uh as i said, say like we have to live a life that's natural right like it doesn't have to be oh you have to be, go extreme in any way and life let it let it go man you enjoy it today. Yeah, you're not
1: you're not living uh the, the liver king lifestyle. Have you have you heard of this guy, Liver King? You might know, you might not have he's like this uh he's like this fitness guy, he's super controversial in um in the fitness industry, but he's funny. He he's like known for just like living a, a primal existence and he'll like take like big bites out of like just raw liver, and that's like his okay. thing, and he's just like just this enormous jacked shredded dude who says that he eats a bunch of liver and it he's he's like a big marketer (laughs) in all honesty uh but yeah yeah, he's living a crazy crazy lifestyle
0: (laughs) and again will whatever works for you may not work for me whatever works for me may not work for you right so we have to look at our bodies our stamina our genetics and then live accordingly but i just believe that it's not about the you know quantity it's about the quality yeah
1: a hundred percent yeah, it's crazy how much like the, the food you eat affects your energy. I, I'm not sure. Have you ever tried like yeah. uh intermittent fasting or doing fasting of some sort?
0: I do. So I actually do I'm a Muslim, so we fast every year for
1: one month. Oh, okay. Like a,
0: like a 16-hour 8-16 window. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do that regardless every year. So interesting. I would say like like probably 8 percent of my life, I'm fasting.
1: Yeah, awesome. And, and when you're fasting, like during that that sixteen hour window, I'm assuming you're allowed to drink water. Like no, that?
0: nothing. Nothing.
1: Really? Wow. Nothing. So eight hours is when you do all your eating and drinking, and then the other sixteen, you're not even allowed to
0: drink. Correct. Right. Nothing. You cannot even touch anything. So wow, man. That that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty intense. That you cannot have like a medicine or something. Yeah. So it's generally between sunrise to sunset. So it depends on where which where uh, normally it comes to sixteen hours. Uh, but yeah, you can't eat anything. So. <laughs> so I do that, and otherwise I I will skip like my lunch from time to time too. I try to eat twice a day, and I do fasting. So I don't follow like you know uh, those specific formulas, but I just try to because I know I have friends who have done like uh, sixteen days or something. But uh, sixteen I haven't days, tried it. like yeah, of just no food no just yeah i haven't tried it a lot of friends have tried it wow that Uh, is
1: intense i yeah because i so i've been i've tried a lot of different types of fasting i've tried like a dry fast where it's like no water or food for 24 hours so that's the longest dry fast i've done and then i've also done a three-day fast where it's just like no just water for three days Um, and then every single day i I don't like count the window, but I'll just not eat all day. Um, and then yeah. like eat, I'll end up eating like all my calories in like a four to six hour window. Um, but I'm drinking like a ton of water, drinking coffee the entire time. And so I feel like when you take out the water element, it's tough because whenever I'm yeah. like hungry, I just chug a bunch of water. So kind of like tricks me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. full. Yeah. Like I'm just like a little yeah. like tired or lethargic. But when you cut out the water, I feel like that that's a whole Whole new game there.
0: So 16 hours, no water per day is pretty intense. And 30 days in a row. So, yeah. uh, but now I'm used to it, right? Like on a regular day, I'll get, I feel like I need to eat. But on those days, I don't have to do anything. But we manage it accordingly, right? Like you normally sleep during the day sometimes or you cheat a bit. Yeah. That way, but, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Well, well, that's the other thing is, is like, I've noticed I get super sleepy when I eat now. So like, I will purposely like wake up, I'll work all day. And I know as soon as I take like my first, like, as soon as I eat my first meal, productivity is going to go downhill. So like, what I do every day is like, I try and go as long as I can throughout the day without eating. And then when I finally do, um, finally do eat, I'm like, okay, I've accomplished enough today. If stuff comes up, I'll do it. I might, I might do a little bit, but I'm As soon as I start planning on eating, it's like, stuff's not really, the the day's work has been complete. (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, I'm seeing that we're coming up on the time here. I do want to ask you one more question, but before asking it, do you want to just like let everyone know where they can follow you, where they can uh, connect with the company and you know, for people who are trying to protect themselves from, from SIM swapping, how they can get in touch and, and make sure that they get that done?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'll cover a bit more on that too. Like on SIM swapping, we don't do just SIM swapping. We have other tracks too, like you know location tracking, people by your call logs, other data too. Um, we are happy to share more details on that. But here, yeah, they can tag secure mobile service. We probably would be like number one, number two, uh, in search results. But uh, easiest option ifani efaani dot com. Our handle is also ifani efaani, and personally, I'm on Twitter hasib. It's sim my first name H-A-S-W-E-B. That's my username on Twitter.
1: Awesome, sounds good. So, last uh, last question here: um, What is one belief you hold to be true that the majority of people would disagree with you about?
0: You guess it's the best country in the world.
1: And what's the uh, what's the rationale for it? And just also the, the reason why I like to ask this question is it's it's interesting because you know you have all these interesting experience, life experiences, and things you've done and you've come to whatever the belief is it's like this is one of the beliefs that you've come to that if the majority of people disagree with it's like a little insight it's like the the peter thiel insight um, that's why he always asks that question
0: uh, yeah i think uh so uh, let me yeah uh, u.s is the best country to uh in the world to build a business okay let me just be clear because when it comes to like there may be other methods where other countries may be better but uh and the reason for that is laws and like acceptance to, and like, again, uh, you mentioned earlier that we can print admin money and we don't have to pay for the debt. Like how cool this is. Like you, it's like your business and you can just run and everyone have to basically so if you print more money, you can cause inflation, but that inflation does not impact you directly. It inflation impact the entire world, but you are the one who is benefiting from it. So the laws like bankruptcy laws, like credit, uh, credit thing is very, very good. And then like ability to raise capital and take more risk and build something. And people are okay to take risk on you when many countries, it may not. There's a very famous quote, like, you know, it's much easier to make your client your friend than make friends your clients. So a lot of people will say, oh, I love for you to be my kind, but they will never buy your product and the stranger will buy your product. And, and then when you be successful, you'll not, you'll not see those strangers anymore, but you'll have friends around you who will be there to celebrate your success but when you were drowning and you were basically in China, no one will buy your product to support you.
1: Yeah. Very, very fascinating stuff. Well, man, this has been one of the most fascinating conversations we've had. I mean, this was, this was a lot of fun. We're going to have to get you back on and uh, yeah. Thanks again for coming. I appreciate it.